0: Abide with me, abide with me. Don't let me fall
1: and don't let go. Walk with me and never leave. This is the Influencers Network podcast. I'm your host, Brian Craig, and I'm the executive director for Influencers Global Ministries here in Bentonville, Arkansas. Uh, we've been on the road quite a bit the last month, but I'm uh, back in uh, the motherland. Uh, and I'm here this morning with our regional director for Northwest Arkansas, Tom C. Welcome, Tom. Thank you. And uh, we, uh, I love to, uh, for people out there to hear life stories and especially the stories of some of the people that are, are leading the ministry here. And Tom has, has emerged to be one of our leaders in uh, Northwest Arkansas. The, the ministry was founded here. Uh, and Rocky was leading the way, but as it's grown, uh, God saw fit to raise up uh, someone to kind of just specifically oversee the journey groups in this area, and that man has been Tom C. So, uh, so I want you guys to get to know Tom a little bit. Uh, Tom, uh, I'll let him tell, tell about himself, but uh, Tom was, was an executive at Walmart. Many of you have heard of Walmart. Uh, well, they're headquartered here in Bentonville, Arkansas. And uh, Tom was with the company in the early days uh, with Sam Walton and worked directly with Sam. And so, uh, Tom, I, I think people are kind of interested in all that. So tell a little bit of, the, of your background with that and, and what you did for Walmart uh, and your interactions a little bit with Sam, just to help people understand what that was all, all about.
0: Sure. Happy to do that, Brian. I, uh, I I might go back a little bit further than that, actually, Uh when I graduated from the University of Arkansas, I went directly into the military, and so I spent seven and a half years in the military, three and a half trying to get out, but, uh, but I was finally able to get out, and I came to Northwest Arkansas to live, and I was married and I had uh, two kids at that point in time, two sons, and uh, I'd met Sam Walton one time, And so I thought, well, I need a job and what I need to be able to do is I need to uh, go back to school and and get better educated than what I was because military was good, but a lot of the uh, business things I had kind of forgotten. And so... I went to see Sam. I called him up, actually, and I asked him if I could come see him, and he agreed. And At that time, Walmart had probably, oh, I don't know, 50, 60 stores, and uh, they were just a small chain. And uh, I really didn't know anything about Walmart other than the fact that I needed a job because I was going back to school to get a master's degree. And so I went in to see Sam, and and uh, he didn't know why I was coming in and so I, I just I came in and I told him that I was uh, planning to return to school to get my master's degree and I said you know I've got a uh, I've got the GI Bill and I said you know I'm, and I've got an assistantship at the university and I'm married and I have two kids and I said they're both uh, not going to school yet and so I said, I'm going to to require a job for me to be able to go to school and to help support my family, and I said, it's going to take me 18 months to get through school, and I need flexible hours. That's long before anybody ever heard of flexible hours, but uh, I said, I need flexible hours because I have no idea when I'm going to be uh, in class and when I'll be available to work, and and I said, but I'll work... uh, 40, 45, 50 hours a week. I'll work every Saturday. I'll work every Sunday. And, uh, and I'll be there during the week when I can. And, and, uh, and I put a couple of pieces of paper down on the table. And I said, this piece of paper shows uh, how much money I spent as a family last year. And I laid the other piece down next to it. And I said, this is my GI Bill. This is my assistantship. And I said, and this next number is the amount of money I need to equal the amount of money I spent last year. Will you hire me? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not the best way you could go to ask for a job, but you know that, that was my approach. And he kind of rubbed his chin, looked at me, and said, uh, yeah. And uh, he took me to uh, the Walmart store over in Rogers. He introduced me to the store manager and told the, told the store manager everything that I'd told Sam. He repeated and told that to the store manager, and uh, and he said uh, he said, "Now this is what you're going to pay him." He, I was going to be an hourly associate. He said, "This is how much you're going to pay him," and <laughs> and it was a little bit more than what I'd asked for, and uh, I was totally taken by surprise. I didn't expect that. Then he tells the store manager, he says, I don't know what Tom knows about retail. He said, but he used to be in the Army, so he knows something about guns. You ought to put him in sporting goods. (laughs) So I started off in sporting goods, worked in... uh, uh, I I got promoted pretty quickly. I didn't realize uh, that I was being treated special. But uh, Sam... Sam... uh, actually put me in, in positions where I could uh, achieve something, so it was pretty nice. And uh, I went and worked in uh, sporting goods for about five, six months, and then I was a department manager and and then an assistant store manager, and then finally got promoted to uh, uh, real estate manager before I—actually uh, before actually before I completed school. And so I was— uh, Fact. I even turned Sam down on the uh, real estate job. I told him I had better opportunities than Walmart, <laughs> and, uh, not knowing that I actually didn't, but uh, but I told him I did, and uh, he and his brother Bud they laughed and slapped their legs and, and uh, said, "Well, no, no, we're going to pay you a little bit more than what uh, what we told you." And he says, uh, "You know, we want you. to We see potential. We'd like you to stay with us." And you so. were the
1: first man that was outside of the family to to be part of real estate, right? Oh yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. I was yeah. before before it was Sam Walton and uh, his son Jim that did all the real estate, and uh, so nobody, no one actually even uh, really trained me. <laughs> it was kind of uh, it, it was kind of interesting the way it worked, and so uh, when Jim left uh, the real estate after after uh, being with me for two months. And I, all of a sudden I realized that I had to be able to uh, open new stores, and I had no idea how to do that. I had no idea where to put stores, what towns to go to. I, I knew nothing other than, uh, other than I needed to, to put stores in. And, and Sam had said, you know, this is how much we can afford to pay. <laughs> this is the kind of deals we make. So uh, I thought, hmm, and so what I did was I went out and uh, asked the accounting department to, at that point we had probably close to 70 stores maybe, maybe, 65, 70. And uh, I went to the accounting department and asked them for the 40 highest volume and most profitable stores. And then I did, uh, I did an analysis of that, trying to figure out, uh, you know, what does this look like? How, how does this translate to everyday towns? And so I, I said, you know, what is the common denominator that would lead to successful, me picking the towns that would be like these successful stores? So I did what they called a regression analysis and that probably puts you to sleep just hearing the term. And uh, what it is is when you know the answer but you don't know what causes the answer. So I went out and I I did a regression analysis of these 40 towns and uh, determined that there was only five things that determined whether or not you were going to have a successful store in the town. One of them was uh, competition whether you did or didn't have any and if you did have who it was and then it was uh like the retail sales in the town the retail sales in the county the disposable income uh, things that uh, on the surface seemed to make a lot of sense and so then i went and looked at the uh, towns that were in the trade areas where we were operating stores and figured out which towns would be the that fit the criteria, and I called a, a real estate meeting. It was the first real estate meeting Walmart had ever had, and uh, and uh, I had my spreadsheets spread across the table. And uh, in comes Sam Walton, his brother Bud, uh, the president of the company, the uh, the vice president of operations, and the vice president of uh, merchandising. So I. I explained to these guys why, what I was doing, what I had done, and I wanted their input as to what they thought the best towns were, and I said, I've already gone through this process and figured out which ones should be the best, and I've got, I've got, I had about 40 towns listed on these two sheets of paper, and I said, you know, and I said, all and all the supporting data that went with it, and I said, you know, why don't y'all help me, and Sam went over there and looked at the p- paper, and put his hand on top of the paper and, and says, Tom, he says, when I want to figure out where I want to put a store for Walmart, he says, I get in my airplane and I fly, and if I see a town I like, I I circle the town, I look to see if there's a good location, I look to see if there's a competitor in the town, and if there is a competitor, I count the number of cars in the parking lot. And if I like the town, he says, I'll pick out a piece of property from the air. And then when I land the plane, he says, I'll call a developer to come and put a store there. <laughs> then he takes his hand and throws it off the table, and both sheets of paper go flying onto the floor. And he looks at me and says, I don't need any paper to tell me where to put stores. And he turns around and walks out, as does everybody else. And so to make it a long story short, I decided that uh, I I didn't have another opportunity anywhere else at that point. So maybe I better pick these papers up off the ground and and go make deals. And so I I decided which towns I was gonna put the stores in without anyone's help. And uh, the next year those stores opened and Sam walked in my office and big smile on his face and says, Tom, those were the best stores we've ever opened in a single year. And I was smiling, and I said, yes, sir, they really are good. And he says, he stops, and he goes, he looks at me, and he says, how did you figure out what stores to put in? Where to put those stores? What towns? And I said, uh, you remember the uh, real estate meeting we had, Sam? And I didn't say anything about him throwing the paper on the on the ground. <laughs> but <laughs> I said, uh I took that from that meeting. I decided which towns I was going to put the stores in, and and I said, you know, that's where we put them. And he looked at me, and he says, good job. He says, do you think we could have another one of those meetings? <laughs> <laughs> so that's the kind of man Sam was. He, You know, if, if somebody had a good idea, he would embrace it. And he wanted that. And every year after that, while I was with Walmart, which was another 24 years, uh, you know, we had a real estate meeting every year, which, as a group, we would decide where we were going to put stores, and we used this, basically the same process. So it was uh, it was a very interesting time, and uh, I went from being a real estate manager to uh, to being. Uh, Vice President of Real Estate, and eventually uh, Executive Vice President of Real Estate and Construction Worldwide, and and on the Executive Committee. So it was uh, it was an interesting time, Brian. And
1: so uh, so how many how many stores did by the time you retired, or uh, how many stores did you oversee uh, building for Walmart?
0: Well, with new stores and relocation of existing stores and expansion of existing stores. Going into new countries because I took them into China and a lot of the South American countries uh it was over four thousand stores <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty amazing, and you know I say all that i I think people
1: just that's a human interest story because that I mean walmart's been one of the most successful stories in America as far as corporate america goes so so it's definitely of interest to people but one time you uh sat back in a chair, Tom, and we were in a meeting, and you said. I'm starting to think God had me going all over the country doing what I was doing to get me ready for what I'm doing now with influencers. I remember you saying that to me. And because now you're in a, now, you know, here we are part of influencers global ministries, and you and I both believe it's bigger than what we think. God wants to take this around the world. So, what do you think about that?
0: Well, I, you know, <laughs> that's not even a question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, really, I, here's, what, here's my view on this, is I believe that what God is doing, as I see him doing, is, is that he wants us to focus on the United States. And that's not to say we shouldn't experiment with uh, countries outside of our, of our continental United States. I think we should, and I think we're seeing success in some of these other countries. But I think, our, I think the United States is a big mission field. It's a huge mission field. I mean, all you got to do is look, read the newspapers and listen to the, the news on the radio or watch it on TV. And uh, you see an absolute need for Jesus in the lives of people in the United States. And we are a country that is uh, probably the leader in the world. And as a result, <coughs> as a result, you know, we need to be focused on our country. And we need to be, when I look and, and I see what, how influencers takes people into a relationship with Jesus. And I didn't even understand really the first time I went through what abiding meant. Now that I know I understand what abiding is, and I see... When I take people through the journey with, with some other guys and and I see the transformation in lives right in front of me. I mean, I watch it on a weekly basis. I see how God transforms lives. I know that the journey works. I know that the journey takes people that were just sitting in a pew on Sunday morning thinking about, the work they had to do on Monday, or maybe where they were going to have lunch, instead of, instead of being really engaged, that I know that the journey transforms lives and transforms people into uh, laborers. Mm-hmm. And so, Lord, when I when I look at that, I know that the the heartland of the United States, we need this. We need this all across this country, whether it's Maine or whether it's Washington or Texas or Florida, wherever it is we need this in this country. And so that's what I see happening. And I see, you know, when you and I talk, Brian, you always talk about that you've been contacted by this people from this town or that town. And and I can just see when I look at the map where these places are, and I can see that, that God's calling us to do this. And as a result, the vision that I'm getting is that we're supposed to, spread the journey in the United States and you know as as we do this there's people in the United States that they're from they're African Americans and and some of them are actually from Africa and they're Hispanics and some are from Brazil some are from Costa Rica some are from just different countries there and 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 we got people that are from Canada that are interested and and we got just people from all over the world live here in the United States and these these when they go through the journey and they see the trend they experience the transformation they want to take it home <laughs> <laughs> and we're seeing that happening and it just happens organically but but I think as long as we focus here on the United States maybe maybe this country will become much healthier from a spiritual standpoint.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, let me, uh, Tom, uh, we, we don't have time to get in your full sto- salvation story, but which is a great story, and there's actually a video on our website. So if you're interested to, to watch this video, Tom talks about how he came to know the Lord on one of our videos. But uh, you came to know the Lord. You would have said you were a Christian back when you were doing all the Walmart stuff, but you said really it was when you were turned about 69 years old. Is that right? When you really... Yeah feel like it the real deal happened
0: yeah that's right yeah I was I was in my mid to late 60s when uh, all of a sudden I understood who God was he, he came into my life uh, I was just kind of sitting in my easy chair watching TV and this thought pops into my head is this it is this what life's all about you make money you have fun you spend money and then you die and what did your life mean? And you know, nobody is going to remember me for putting in a lot of Walmart stores. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's that's over. Mm. And so once I realized that I didn't really have a legacy, other than maybe with my own immediate family, I didn't really have a legacy. My legacy was gone. And so I thought, you know this what is this and so I struggled with that thought for about three months and then uh, I had a lawyer come into town one day and and uh, want me to wanted me to be a witness in a lawsuit and so I sat down with him and listened to his story and I agreed to uh, to be a witness for him because I knew the people and I uh, When I got, when I agreed to that, all of a sudden he started witnessing to me and I said, what are you doing? (laughs) And I said, I'm a Christian. And uh, he continued on. And the truth was, was that uh, I was born in this country. So I just assumed I was a Christian. If I'd have been born in Iran, I'd have been a Muslim, I guess. So, you know, that was, that was my assumption. And finally, one day before the trial, he says, Tom, I want you to buy a Bible. And I said, no, nah, I'm not buying a Bible. I said, I've got two of those King James Bibles at home. And I said, you can't understand anything that's in them. And so he says, no, no. He said, I want you to get this Life in the Spirit Bible. So I, I told him no, but as soon as the, our meeting was over, I went to the Bible bookstore, and I bought the Bible he talked about. And I went home, and I stuck it on the shelf in my closet <laughs> where it sat for about six months and then, uh, then the thoughts about uh, is this what life is all about came back to me and I thought hmm. I was in my closet and I look up on the shelf and I see the Bible and I open it up and there's a plan that you can read the Bible in a year so this was in December and I said well I think come January I'll start and I'll read the Bible in a year so I did Well, I got ahead of the plan, and by, uh, oh, I don't know, it's late June, early July, I was in the New Testament, probably John, but I'm not exactly sure, and uh, I put the Bible down, and I said, you know what? This is real. God's real. Jesus is real. This whole thing is real. And I've lived my life wrong all my life everything's been wrong I put my emphasis on the wrong thing I put it on material success I put it on pleasing myself I was self-promotion it was uh, all the things you should not do I did and uh, so I immediately asked for forgiveness and accepted Jesus and it just transformed my life very quickly and uh, about a year later, I met Rocky Fleming, and uh, we went to Chick-fil-A for lunch, and I told him how I became a believer, and he told me about the journey, and I blew him off. <laughs> 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 and uh, about a month later, about a month later, one of my friends calls me, invites me to lunch, and tells me Rocky's going to be with him. I laugh, and I say, Okay. And so I decided at that point that I was going to be uh, going through the journey because that's something God wanted me to do. So I did. I met him for lunch. I agreed to go through the journey. My eyes were rolling in the back of my head the whole time. And, uh, but I decided I was going to give it my all, and I did. And, and once I did that, and, and I really found out what abiding in Christ was like the transformation that it made in my life and it was like games over this Let, is it let's
1: talk about that so t- give some specifics about what god did once you started abiding in christ and learned about personal abandonment and absolute trust and i know we're not we're not done learning about that it'll be the rest of our life but what kind of things started changing in you
0: well as i started trying to get closer to him uh, one of the things you we went through and i'll just tell this is a quick story Uh, one of the things I went through when it came to asking for forgiveness and uh, I was in the Walmart Fitness Center and I was walking around the track and I was thinking about people I had offended and that I needed to ask forgiveness of and and I started thinking about that and I thought golly I've offended so many people here I am I'm close to 70 years old I don't even know if these people are alive or dead or where they are. <laughs> I've offended so many people. And, and I said, Lord, I said, would you just put somebody in my mind that that he could represent everybody else that I've offended? And immediately, a guy named David jumped into my mind, and I thought, wow, yep, I've offended David. He was a civil engineer that worked for me, and, and uh, I absolutely detested whenever he would be making a uh, a presentation because if he if i made a suggestion he would immediately bristle and he wouldn't want to take my suggestion and uh, you know he would argue and and i would wind up embarrassing him and i'd embarrass myself and it would be in front of uh, all the people that were in the meeting and uh, so i was an example of a really terrible boss and uh, at any rate, he uh, he ultimately quit. And I hadn't seen him, I had not seen David in probably close over 15 years. I didn't even know where he was. So I said, Well, David, I said, Lord, I don't know if David's alive, I don't know if he's dead, I don't know if he's living in northwest Arkansas, I have no idea where he is. I said, but I treated him wrong. I said, I would just ask that you would forgive me for the way I treated David uh, and I missed. I just I just treated him really poorly and I didn't was not a good example of what of how I should have treated somebody and I said I would ask that you bless him bless his family his children and uh, and that if he's alive that you've give, you give him good health and uh, so I finished doing that I, I said and I left the uh, fitness center and I went to my office and I worked that morning in the office and then at uh, at noon I was gonna to go to lunch. Now, I was the only one in the office that day, and so I went and locked the front door, and I went out the side door, and went to lunch. I came back, and I went through the side door, went into my office. And all of a sudden, and I, I hear what sounded like a door opening, and I thought, no, that's not possible. I locked the front door. And so I continuing to work and all of a sudden I feel the presence of somebody standing in my doorway and I look up and there's David same guy I'd prayed for that morning <laughs> he's standing there and uh, and I look at him I said how would you get in here David and he says well I walked through the front door <laughs> and I said well I locked it and he said well it was open and so I said okay and I laughed and I stood up and I said, "Come here," and he held out his hand to shake my hand. And I said, "I'm not shaking your hand." I said, "I want a hug," so I gave him a hug and I asked him for forgiveness, and and he said, "Oh, I absolutely forgive you." And I said, "Why did you come here?" He said, "Well, I'd heard that you'd changed, that you were no longer the man that that I used to work for," <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway, it was a pretty amazing thing that happened, and that's just one example of uh, of uh, Many, many examples that uh, where God was directly impacting me with, with, and showing me that uh, you know, this is my love for you. This is the grace I have for you. This is the love that that I want you to show to people.
1: You know, and I, I, Tom, I just met you in the last three, four years or whatever, so I only know the the abiding Tom. I didn't know the pre-abiding Tom, which was kind of a, you, I guess you were kind of a tough customer uh, in the old days. Uh, they tell stories about me, yes. <laughs> kind of intimidating and, and all that, and, and uh, I've, I've watched God, uh, you know, you have no less passion or zeal or directness about you, you know, but yet it's all bridled with, unto the Lord, you know, it's all, it's all under his obedience, you know, or his leadership. I mean, you're being obedient to his leadership. So, so uh, that's the beauty of it all. But, uh, well, we just have a few more minutes, Tom, but, and I, and there's a lot of stories we, we could tell, but, uh, I'll just say, tell all you, you need to get to know Tom. See if you don't know Tom yet, hope you guys get to meet him. But, uh, let's talk real quick about what's going on here in Northwest Arkansas. I know a lot of people out there don't understand. It's, this is a very unique area here because of the Walmart influence and all that, but t- what's going on here in this region?
0: Well, it's uh, it's really, geographically, it's spread out really large, and it's difficult to go from Bentonville to Fayetteville to Siloam Springs and all these major towns in between because these towns are anywhere from 30,000 up to, to 70,000, 80,000 population cities, and uh, we have... Roads are not that great. They're not bad, but they're not that great. And so what I've done recently is I've uh, identified three areas, the Bentonville, Rogers, Bella Vista as one area, Fayetteville, Springdale, Huntsville as another area, and Siloam Springs as a third area. And I've asked uh, three of the men, one man in each one of those areas, to, uh, to be the... Regional coordinator for that area, and so it's a little different setup than what we've done in the past, and uh, so I've gone ahead and have done that. I discussed it with uh, Brian and Rocky as to whether or not this is a uh, something we should try, and uh, and so far it's it's going really well. In Siloam Springs, they've got a number of. Uh, uh, journey groups going in uh, in Fayetteville we're gonna we're gonna have our first uh, journey group going in the University of Arkansas which is uh, actually a pretty dark place when it comes to spiritual spirituality and then uh, of course Rogers Bentonville has always been uh, uh, a pretty bright light so it's uh it's, I think it's going to work really well. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to be working with these men, and these men are all embracing this. They're all men that uh, that are abiding in Christ, and they're excited and they're moving forward. Uh, and by the way, uh, all of them have uh, full-time jobs. It's not that they are dependent upon the... Uh, it's not that they're not dependent upon their the people that are going through the journey to financially support them. They... They're able to to financially support themselves and and uh, manage a significant portion of uh, of influencers.
1: Well, and and Tom, uh, people probably don't realize they probably think of Arkansas as being in the sticks. First of all, and you know this area, Northwest Arkansas, is about a half a half a million people yep. in about a fifty square mile you know area or whatever. But what people don't understand, you have Walmart, the largest company in the world, five hundred billion dollars last i heard uh jb hunt the largest transportation company in america you got tyson foods largest largest meat producer you know whatever in america or in the the world world. and then uh and then if you throw in Salem springs you have day spring greeting cards which is owned by hallmark Uh, so there's a lot of vast corporate influence in this area and you and i've talked about how people go through the journey and some of these are from other countries by the way and then they take it back, you know, they get transferred or they move around a lot because that's just what happens in corporate America. So our hope is maybe they're going to bring the journey with them
0: or the process with them. You know, it's, it's interesting how that's working because that's exactly what's happening, and uh, it's happening not only in different countries, but it's happening all across the United States as these, as these guys get transferred or these people get transferred to different, uh, different areas of the country. And uh, another thing that's pretty significant, Brian, is, is the churches. When I first started with, uh, with influencers, we had five churches that were using the journey as their discipleship tool. Today, we have in excess of 30 churches in, in just like five short years. We have over 30 churches that's using the journey as a discipleship tool. And my pastor is going to be leaving and going to another city, and he tells me, he says, I'm taking the journey with me. <laughs> so,
1: Well, and, and it should be noted, I think, Tom, uh, that didn't happen by you going around knocking on church's doors. It happened by pastors noticing what was happening yeah. with men in their church. Isn't that right? That's correctly. That's exactly
0: what happened. I mean, you,
1: you're always encouraging men to be intentional about reaching out to their pastor and loving on him and praying with them and all that, which I think is great but pastors get hit up by so much stuff. I mean, the the approach of not beating down the front door and trying to get them to do it doesn't seem to
0: work. Well, I think it works better with non-denominational pastors than it does with uh, the traditional church pastors because I think those those men are more open to what's going on and and they're not so legalistic.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, I think I think it's just they just get hit up by so many different things, you know, and I yeah. think it gets over on overload, you know. So they stick to what what they know best, you know. But but anyway, no, it has been a success story, and and a lot of that's been because of of you, uh, you know, being a regional director and uh, and giving your time and pouring into different people, and it's been really fun for me to watch the last few years. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well. Th- We're, we're, you know, we're out of time today, but Tom, thank you. I want them to get a little flavor for who you are and and what's going on here, and and it's just I love uh, the whole Walmart story, and you know, God was positioning you, you know, to to be ready for this season of your life where you're you're helping us take this miss message all over the wherever God wants to take it. Actually, this is more fun than anything I ever did at Walmart. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, anyway, this has been the Influencers Network podcast, and uh, we would love to hear from you. If you, there's anything you'd like to hear us talk about on a future broadcast, you can always send us an email. Uh, we have an email set up, podcastquestions@influencers.org. at Or if you just want to find out more about the discipleship process called The Journey, which which is our biggest thing that we do, uh, go to our website, influencers.org, and send us a message, and I'll contact you, and we'll, we'll help you get started with that. But uh Continue to pray for us and and, and where this is going to go. But uh, we're really excited what we see here in Northwest Arkansas. So thanks again, Tom, for all your your work. Um, Okay, well, this has been the the Network Podcast, and I'm going to keep encouraging you to abide in Christ and go make disciples. God bless you all.